Yeah, why don't you guys turn to First uh, Samuel seventeen? Brad did such a good job last week, uh, didn't he? Talking about just the power of your testimony and the power of, of how your testimony can become a legacy for your family. Um, it was really good. I, I have seen probably more Christians come to me with two different topics um, with concern in their hearts saying, what's my calling and how do I hear God's voice? Those are two really big commonalities of things that people come to me and they say, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my purpose is. And I don't know how to hear the Lord's voice. Um, and over, over really the next few weeks, I really hope that we can dive into this topic and, and help lead uh, you into truth in this. Um, this sermon right now, I would say, is probably the most OG Ethan Bricker message it's probably like the first message that I ever spoke that felt like this is my message. Like if there's a message that like that just resonates deep down in who I am and the history I have with the Lord, this is one of them. Um, but the the idea of what our calling and our purpose is, it's it's a strong foundation, right? For us, like it's something we seek after. Um, the problem, I think, in America is we've turned the topic of calling and purpose into our new goal, like the, the new idol, as like, well, what's my, my calling and my purpose? That's the motivator of why I'm at church. And that's the dangerous territory we get into is we start making the goal, our calling, be the ultimate goal, and we will run people over to get to our calling which is the devil, um, but your calling and your purpose, it always is behind the person of Jesus. Like you don't get to your calling and your purpose without going through the doorway of Jesus, okay? If you're trying to seek purpose and your calling without seeking the Lord first, you'll never get to it. Seek first the kingdom, seek first Jesus, and you will get to your purpose and your calling. Um, I was thinking this this week about um, this this thing that happened. I love this story. This is something crazy. I've never ever shared this story, but um, it it's like imprinted into my mind. And I don't know if you're like me, but like I really struggle to remember stories from my childhood. There's a lot like in my childhood I just don't remember. Like I don't know if it was because I was too ADHD to remember anything. If I was just squirrel, 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 and so nothing was getting getting recorded. But uh, um, my parents, when we were really young, I don't know, I might've been like 10 or 13. They took us to this like tent revival. I don't know where it was. You guys can probably maybe remember, but we went, we drove really far. What felt really far. I was probably playing my Game Boy Color in the back on the way with the little light thing so I could see because it wasn't backlit. I was telling my kids this week that there was no such thing as backlit screens when I was a kid. They're like, what are you talking? I don't they're like, what's a screen without light coming behind it? I'm like, I don't know how to explain this to you, but there weren't lights behind the light <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> and so, anyway, so we went to this tent revival and I don't remember really anything that happened other than we were all in a row and the presence of the Lord was just there. It was so apparent to my little heart. I was like, man, God's here right now. Like he is so in this tent, it's crazy. I didn't know what was going on. I don't know who was speaking or anything like that. We may have sang that Agnes Day song, Holy, I don't know, because that song, every time I sing that song, I just get wrecked. But uh, I remember my dad melting. Like he was sitting next to me and he, the Lord just crushed him in the most beautiful way. Like he just became a puddle. Um, just started just bawling. And I remember as a little boy just watching my dad going, whoa, something's happening. Um, and I don't, I still haven't, I didn't talk to you about this. I don't know what the Lord was doing in his heart. I know the that whatever he was battling in that time, there, that he was, you know, 
dad of three, working a, you know, running a whole company, doing all these things, so all this pressure. And the Lord, I, it felt like I was watching the Lord remove pressure from him. And then he just got absolutely crushed. And I remember sitting there just going, oh my gosh, what is happening to my dad? Because up until that point, I didn't really see him cry that much. Now I see him cry all the time. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember ever seeing him cry until that moment because I'd see him cry at like funerals and stuff like when we had lost a couple different loved ones and great grandparents and stuff. But like in that moment, the Lord was doing something in him that was so profound and it was affecting me as it was happening to him. I, I, I don't know any other way to put it other than as he was being broken, the Lord was breaking my heart in a good way. You know, you know what I'm saying? He's not breaking anybody in a bad way, but like sometimes when he breaks us down, it's a lot like a doctor. When, when doctors reset bones, what do they do? They break a bone to realign the bones. Um, and sometimes guys, like we just need to allow the Lord to break us. And sometimes that's worshiping in a way that we're not prepared for. Sometimes that's seeking him in a way where we not, don't usually do it. Sometimes that's allowing his spirit to overcome us so that we laugh, shout, joy, laugh, I don't know, scream, shout, whatever it is. And that breaking is the breaking of like bones so that they can actually be put back together. Um, what am I saying, Ethan? Um, as parents, what we fight against, what we go after, the things that we're dealing with, it directly affects our kids. It directly affects not just our kids, but the people around us. Okay, I'm not just talking to parents right now. I'm talking like the things that you get breakthrough in, it is the opportunity for the person sitting next to you to also have breakthrough in that thing. So like as he was getting breakthrough, I was getting breakthrough. Amen. Um, and so I want to go to, I want to go to Luke, to, uh, to, to first Samuel 17, 24. I want to talk to you guys about David. I think David is pro other than Jesus, probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible characters, people, he's a character. <laughs> that guy's a character. Um, the reason why he, he's so profound to me is one, David was known as the man after God's own heart. What an amazing thing to be known. Like when, when you speak of somebody, that guy's a man after God's heart. Nobody else was called that. He was the only one. That guy's a man after God's heart. What does that look like? That, mean, that means like if you get in my way, you're getting get like, you know what I mean? It's like anything that gets in my way, I will run it over to get to that heart. Um, it also says that in the Bible that Jesus is seated on David's throne right now in heaven. On David's throne. What in the world to be, to have that much impact on God that God's like, I'll sit on your throne. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And in reality, like when we worship, when we worship and seek the Lord, your heart is a throne that he wants to sit on. Like you're establishing your heart. When we worship, we're not just singing songs and stuff like that. We are positioning our hearts to say, Lord, rest here. I'm after your heart. I'm seeking your face relax here, rest here, come on. So David's like, he's like the, he's amazing. He's, he's like the first guy to say, hey, uh, you know what will really impact our entire nation if we worship 24 seven for 33 years? What if we just worshiped? What if we just got around the presence of the Lord and we just sought the Lord for 33 years straight, 24 seven, not a minute missed of somebody just seeking the Lord? What would happen? And what happened was absolute freedom, absolute abundance, and breakthrough for the following generation. So David, if you know this story, um, don't, don't just turn this thing into like a weird nursery rhyme story. This is factual. This happened. Um, David was anointed king by Samuel. And then, um, as you know, the, the man Goliath and the Philistines come. And this is kind of where we're picking up as David is now walking to the battlefield where Goliath is taunting the Israelites. And this is David's response. And I just want you to see this and put yourself in David's position as you read this. So 1 Samuel 17, 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who, came, who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines, Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you, you left those few sheep in the wilderness? So in other ways, why are you here? Somebody else, or Did you leave your sheep? Who else is going to take care of your sheep while you're here? So he's immediately just minimizing him, rejecting him. Just, you're an absolute afterthought, David. What are you doing here? He says, uh, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So he's essentially just saying, you're, you came to just watch violence happen and be entertained by it. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And David said to Saul, so now he's speaking to the king, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So David's looking at this and he's, he's seeing a, this monster of a man who was born and raised to fight. A warrior from birth come out, yell all kinds of crazy stuff to Israel. And he goes, dude, we serve a living God, a God who is for us. If he's for us, who can come against us? Like he's starting to logically go, I, I, I've not even heard this Bible verse yet, but here's a thought. If he's for us, who can be against us? You know what I mean? Like he's already speaking Paul's language. Like he's just like, this doesn't make sense. And he says, everybody looks around. And he goes, everyone's hearts are failing right now. Like he's looking into his brother's eyes and he's like, Eliab, you're like the strongest, most stout guy. He's the one that Samuel walked up to. Samuel walks up to him and he goes, oh, this is a king. He's about to anoint someone from Jesse's family. He goes, dude, this guy's a king. And he goes to anoint him and God goes, nope, not the guy. And then eventually he gets David and he anoints David because David was kingly in heart, but not in stature. Come on, guys. To be a king in heart is to recognize when the people around you, when their hearts are failing and you go, I'll slay your giant. It's the testimony that Brad was talking about last week. It's to say, oh no, somebody's heart's failing. I think I can slay that giant. And maybe that's, maybe that's to go, oh man, you're struggling with this thing. I know somebody who has slayed that giant before. Oh, you're struggling with anxiety. I know I know this person, they struggled with it, but guess what? They slayed that thing. Oh, you're struggling with lust. Guess what? I know somebody who conquered that thing. It's to say your heart's failing. That's not okay. And sometimes we tell ourselves that to, to just be in a failed state, in a heart that's shut down, that it's just totally cool and chill. And it's not. Come on, guys. It's not. It, you, you need to be like David and go, this is, something's not right here. So then go to, to thir verse 33. We're in the same chapter. He goes on to talk to Saul and it says, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been made, he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. And your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be uh, like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, listen to this, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Here's what I want you to notice. David did not look at Goliath and go, oh, he's special. Okay, Saul was looking at Goliath going, he's special, David. He's been training. He's so skilled. He's so, do, 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 do. 
David said, he's not special. This isn't a special fight. This is the Lord's battle. What did David also do? He didn't say, me, 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 me. He didn't let pride go, well, I've killed a bear. I've grabbed a lion by the mane, smacked it in the face and said, call me your daddy, (laughs) right? (laughs) You're like, this is weird. (laughs) I'm just trying to wake you guys up because you're real quiet right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, like, he's not like, oh, wow, like, look at me. He goes, Goliath isn't special. I'm not special. God is special. So he says, this isn't my fight. This isn't his fight. It's his. It's the Lord's. We need to make note of that. Because here's the deal. Sometimes we go, well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know how I was raised. Well, this is just how I am. This is how I've always been. This is who I will be. And what do we do? We say, my issues are more special than his ability to deliver me. My way of life is more important than what he's actually trying to deliver me from. And so what happens is you become a Saul and you say, that thing that I'm trying to fight is bigger than my ability to overcome it. You hearing me? This is a big deal because here's the deal. What Brad talked about last week, you can't get to your testimony unless you overcome the thing that's in front of you. But you cannot overcome the thing and the issue and the anxiety and the depression and the addiction and lust and whatever it is. You cannot overcome it unless you realize that he has already overcome it and that it's not more powerful than him. It's not more strong than him. It's not. It's not. Come on. It's just not, but we tell ourselves because we've been told, we've been told you need to be medicated to get through this. We've been told that you need to go through this, this, and that. Here's the deal, guys. The Lord might be in it. You might need a 12-step program to get through it, but it's the Lord who takes you through it. Come on. Like, I'm not, I'm not, in the past, I used to, I used to be the guy who was just like, no, the Lord will just set you free. And, and here's the deal. The Lord will set you free when you yield to him. So what the Lord tells you to do might be different than what he tells me to do to be free of something. Does that make sense? I know we're getting into, we're getting into gray territory. I just want to make, make sure everybody knows. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against going through uh, you know, a, a process to, to walk into freedom. But here's the deal. When you say, I can't be free without that, Without this thing, without, that's when we get into dangerous territory. That's when we start to put our faith in a thing rather than the Lord. Are we on the same page? Okay, so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm against medication or I'm against this. Here's the deal though. It should lead you into freedom. If it leads you deeper into, well, I need this to do this. I need this medication to get here. If it just takes you deeper into that thing. It's not leading you into freedom. It's leading you into bondage. He's special. The Lord is special. Okay. Let's not magnify, uh, let's not magnify a giant and make him bigger than he actually is. It might be a legitimate giant. It might be a very real struggle. No one's saying it's not, but here's the deal. The any giant that stands before the Lord, it must die. You keep, but we like to we like to just we just like to be around our giants sometimes. And here's the deal: day after day after day after day, Goliath came out, and the Israelites were just cool with it. They they were cool being in the presence of somebody that was calling them and their God all kinds of names and things like that. But here's the deal. What fixed things was a mighty man coming into a group of people that were not mighty men. And he said, this is wrong. This is wrong. I don't care if it hurts your feelings, Eliab. This is wrong. Your heart's failed. You need to understand this is wrong. We should all be in freedom. We shouldn't be listening to this. Okay. And then he goes on, he goes on here. Okay. 45, love this. He said, then David said to the Philistine, 
You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. So here's what he says. He will not save us by the means of what we can do. He will save us by his means. But here's the deal. Did David still have to steward what was in front of him? He had to steward what he knew. He still had to steward what was in front of him. And God said, go get some five stones, okay? And then come out to the battlefield and swing that puppy, right? So you still had to partner with the Lord, right? But guess what? It was the Lord who brought breakthrough for Israel. So watch this. He says that the goal, David says, the goal of all of this is that in verse 47, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. David recognized, if I can kill you, sorry, I know there's kids in here. (laughs) If I can beat you up. um, He says, if I can break you down, (laughs) that's a better word. If I can crush you, then it will tell everyone behind me that you are bigger, that my God is bigger than you. That my testimony is actually their testimony. It's what Brad was talking about last week. If my victory can produce victory in myself, it will produce victory for everyone else. And here's what happened. It says, it says, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. Let me rewind a second. In verse 46, it says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. David's walking up to this dude with a leather strap and a stone. So he's like, I'm going to cut off your head. So what was David doing? He was standing there and he was going, see that sword on your hip? That's my sword. That's not your sword. That's my sword. So the very sword, I brought this. Okay. We're going to pretend this is a sword. It's, it's a knife. But I, I had a machete I lost it. I don't know where it's at. A machete. Um, I lost my machete. I was going to use my machete, but we're going to pretend this sword. This is the sword. So Goliath is coming out with the sword, and David's like, "I won't be saved even by a sword or a spear or a javelin. I will be saved by the Lord Almighty." But guess what? That sword on your hip—that's mine. And what do we do when the enemy comes to us? He points his sword at us and he says. You're this, you're that. He says, oh, we're going to come at you with the struggle of addiction. We're going to come at you with the struggle of lust. We're going to come at you with the struggle of insecurities. And what happens, he says, you're insecure. And what happens, you get to stand there and you get to go, oh, that thing you're pointing at me, that's actually my breakthrough. And here's what happens in, in, in our lives, is if you struggle with lust, the enemy comes at you with the temptation of lust. He says, you're impure, you're, you're a pervert, you're this, all these things. You get to look at him in the eye and go, I'm actually going to take that out of your hand and I'm going to use that with purity. Does this make sense? That's actually your sword. So if you took the three things you struggle with the most internally right now, I could guarantee you the three things you're struggling with right now, that's your purpose, that's your call. Well, I struggle with being insecure. Guess what? That means you were called to be secure. That means that you were called to make others secure in the Lord. If you struggle with addiction to alcohol, guess what? That's your opportunity to get free from alcohol to lead others into freedom. If you struggle with drugs, that's your opportunity to lead others out of drugs and into a clean lifestyle. If you struggle with lust, that's your opportunity to walk in purity and lead others into purity. But we take it, he points the the sword at us and we take it like, oh no, this is just who I am. Oh no, I am an addict. Oh no, I am, you know, this, I am that. And what happens is the enemy convinces us and convinces us to let our hearts fail 
We let our hearts fail and then he gets to continue to point this thing at us instead of us going, that's actually the weapon that the Lord called me to carry. That's actually the thing that the Lord called me to carry in my life. So for me personally, I struggled with lust from a really early age. And eventually I read this and somebody said, you know what, you're actually supposed to be called to walk in purity. You're actually called to to lead your boys into purity. You know that like for most kids, like it's, I can't go into this, Never mind. I'll say it this way. They say most kids, it's not a issue of when they're going, like if they'll ever struggle with lust, it's an issue of when they will right now. It's not like a, oh, they might, it's, it's very much like a, when will they, not an if. And so as a father, I take that as I have an opportunity to take that sword out of my enemy's hand and say, I will walk in purity. This is mine. So when my boys struggle with lust, I can go, son, here, here, I beat this thing before. Let me help you beat it. Here's a sword. That thing the enemy is trying to take from you, it's actually yours. Come on, dude. So, so this continues. It says, and David put his hand in his bag. This is verse 49. Took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. That's in the verse. There was no sword in the hand of David. So God and everyone is like, hey, I just want you guys to make sure. David said, hey, I'm going to kill you and cut your head off. And the verse is like so specific. Hey, there wasn't a sword in his hand. So David runs. It says in verse 51, then David ran. And this was before Goliath could regain consciousness because he would have been concussed or unconscious. And stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. How do you make the enemy flee? You take the sword out of his hand and you point it back at them. So what are you struggling with? Whatever you're struggling with, it is the opportunity for you to get breakthrough in that thing. Take the sword out of the enemy's hand and then bring that breakthrough for somebody else. Is this tracking? It's the opera. Like, and here's the deal. We like to convince ourselves and build ourselves up with pride and act like, I don't fight anything. I don't struggle with anything. I'm not, I'm good. I already overcame. I did. Here's the deal, guys. Every person in this room is probably fighting something. Probably. I can't, I'm 30. So like, I have not reached the elderly wise age of where I'm, I don't know. <laughs> May, and it might not be struggle with sin. It might just be, I've talked to Dave before. We've talked about this, like, where it might not be the struggle of sin. It might just be the struggle of being like, I'm going to stay on fire for the Lord. It might not be related to sin whatsoever. It might just be, I want to remain devoted and on fire. It could be that. If if that is the thing you're struggling with, it's the opportunity to lead somebody else into a lifestyle of devotion to the Lord. But we take it, we start struggling with things and we start thinking, Oh, I'm just not that good. I'm just not a good Christian. I'm not, you know, I'm not as spiritually mature as I thought I would. I can't believe I'm still struggling with this year after year. I can't believe that this is just such an issue for me. In reality, it's your mind and your spirit saying, that is actually supposed to be my sword. I'm supposed to lead you into purity. Why? Because I dealt with lust. If you're a drug addict, I... I overcame this. Help me lead you out of this. <laughs> Come on, but instead we, get, we deal with why well, I just should be past this. The first thing Jesus did when he get, was filled with the Spirit is he walked into the wilderness to go to battle. And every single time the enemy spoke, he said, no, that's my sword. No, the thing you're speaking, that's actually mine. The devil's like, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He's like, no, they're already mine. The lie is that this is something that I should struggle with. In reality, the thing you're pointing at me, it's actually mine. So David, after he kills Goliath, what does he do with that sword? That's a sword now. 
Every battle David goes into, <laughs> into now, he's not going into battle with a sling. He's going into battle with Goliath's sword. Come on. So like, here's the deal. When you overcome, when you experience the Lord in your life, you cannot keep it quiet. When you keep it quiet, there's somebody else desperate for breakthrough, desperate for your help. And when we stay quiet, it's like, yeah, I have the sword. I just don't really use it anymore. And here's what happens. We always talk about how awesome David is. And then we get to this part with Bathsheba and we're like, what the heck happened? Second Samuel 11, one through 12. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And you know the rest of the story. He that has, has adultery, and, and you know the story. What ha- it says, when kings go out to war, during the time when kings go out to war, what was David supposed to be doing as king? He was supposed to be holding Goliath's sword, bringing breakthrough to his nation. But instead he said, you know what? I've made mighty men. We're good. You mighty men, you go do it. But here's what happens. When you put this sword away, you're like, I've experienced breakthrough. You put the sword away and you stop using it. What happens? The enemy sneaks in and starts to convince you this isn't your sword anymore. That it actually is his. And in reality, you're like, no, I, it still belongs to me. See, anytime the enemy comes to you, he should run the risk of either taking you. I'm sorry, here's the better phrasing. Anytime the enemy comes to you, he runs the risk of either taking you or making you. When he comes to you and he points his finger at you, his finger at you, his sword at you, whatever it is, he runs the risk of taking you or leading you to the Lord. Why? Because when he points his sword at you, it's actually the revelation of what your life is actually called to. If you struggle with anxiety, it's because you were supposed to walk in such abundant peace that everybody around you starts getting peace in their life. If you struggle with depression, it's because you were meant to walk in joy. If you struggle with lust, it's because you were supposed to walk in purity. Every time he points at you and he says, you're not this you are this, whatever. It's the opportunity for you to go, oh, you're actually revealing something to me about myself. You're revealing to me what I'm not called to and what I am called to. Come on. Here's the deal with David. When David saw Goliath, Goliath wasn't his problem. And here's the, this is the situation we have in America. We like to come to church. We like to experience the Lord for us. And a lot of times we don't like to do anything for others. I say a lot of times because it's just inconvenient. But David walks out onto that battlefield and he sees Goliath doing this. Goliath is not David's problem. He's not. It's like, this is so not his problem. He can be tending to sheep and say, that's just not my issue. But what happens is he goes, no, that is my issue. Why? Because if you guys don't slay that giant, there's going to be more giants. If somebody doesn't do something about this, it's going to decline. Hello, America 2024. (laughs) Come on. We all go, well, I don't know how we got here. Because we took prayer out of schools. Because we took the Pledge of Allegiance out of schools. And we stopped saying, in God we trust. Sorry, I'm not getting all political with you. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if we don't kill the giant then guess what? Giants have babies and get more, ba- more giants everywhere. That was unspiritual and weird. <laughs> so David said, I'm not going to disassociate myself from this situation. I'm actually going to make this my problem. And by making it his problem, he takes the sword out of the enemy's hand and he becomes a mighty man, man a mighty man. By becoming a mighty man, what happens for Israel? Ever heard of David's mighty men? 37 men who were the mighty men of David. One man goes into battle. Sorry, this is intense. Kills 800 men with a spear. 
Another man, man kills 300 men and his hand gets stuck to a sword because he's been fighting all day. Just epic. You're like, the movie 300 so epic. Yeah, we should have a David's Mighty Men movie because that would be, he would, that one dude would conquer all of them. <laughs> like they're mighty, but it, they weren't mighty until he became mighty. Now we're not idolizing David. We're showing the proof that when one man walks in breakthrough, takes the sword out of the enemy's hand, puts it in his hand, behind him become many, many mighty men. And here's the deal. There's people behind you right now. You, the person sitting in this room, there's people behind you. They could be your coworkers. They could be your kids. They could be your family members. There are people behind you waiting for breakthrough. They are waiting, shaking in their boots, waiting for somebody to kill the giant in their life and go, hey, this is actually yours. This is actually what he called you to. Every time I talk to somebody and they say, oh, I just struggle with anxiety so much. I'm paralyzed by anxiety. I'm like, oh, this is good news. You know why? It's because you were called to walk in peace. It's the enemy revealing to you his plan, which is the opposite of God's plan. And when you see the opposite of God's plan and you flip it, you go, oh, snap. You flip that thing on its head and go, oh, I'm actually supposed to walk in peace. So it's, this isn't a battle between me and me. And this enemy I'm fighting is not more special than God. If I can just yield myself to his reigning, remember we were singing? We are singing, amen, he reigns, he reigns, he reigns. If I can yield my heart to him reigning in my life, that thing's gonna die. And it, yes, it's gonna take stewardship. Yes, it's gonna take decisions. Yes, it might take counseling. Yes, it might take these things. It might take you being obedient. But guess what? When you get breakthrough, people behind you who are paralyzed by anxiety are going to get peace because they're going to hear hope in you. Come on. It's, here's the deal. It says in uh, Hebrews, it says, it says that it's Christ in you who is the hope of glory. But it's Christ out of you that brings hope for people. Christ in you is the hope for you. Christ out of you brings hope to other people. <laughs> that was really good. So sometimes, thank you. Sometimes we, we uh, here's another way that we make giants special. We say, oh, it's just the signs of the times. It's the signs of the times. You know, things are just going to get darker before they get better. That's the most powerless Christian statement I've ever heard. If you, if you say it's the signs of the times with no intent to take the sword out of the enemy's hand, be quiet. <laughs> Come on, dude. Like God didn't call you to just be like, oh man, yeah, he's there. The giant's here. Oh, it's just the signs of the times. It's gonna get bad. No, he called you to take your sling and kill that thing. Take the sword and then go. Like that is the, it's just... We, we say, oh, it's the signs of the times. You should be saying, it's the sign of my time. You were born for such a time as this. Like when I hear parents, they're like, oh, I'm just so worried. I'm so worried for my kids that they're growing up in this world and that they're growing up with, you know, these uh, sexual confusions. And, you know, there's kids going to schools who thinks that they're cats. And, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just so glad that I grew up in a time. I'm just like, no, my kids were born for this time. They were born for this time. Yes, I'm concerned about the influence that could affect them, but guess what? That's my job to conquer the giants for them right now. And then when they become adults, I'm gonna hand them the sword and say, hey, I learned to kill my giant. Here's how. Here's how. But when we pretend that we are not fighting anything, Paul said, fight the good fight. But when we... we take pride, like have too much pride and want to pretend that we don't struggle with anything, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like sometimes we like, we treat pastors like, oh yeah, they're just like the pinnacle. No, we like, we all are constantly working towards righteousness, working towards holiness. Yes, there's like, there's, there's egregious decisions that pastors have made. That's, it's not just church or it's spiritual abuse, but like it's, 
every person, there's no super Christian, right? It's just followers of Jesus. And so I'm not speaking to you as somebody who is not constantly, like me and Brad talk all the time. Like there's times where I go, Brad, I need you to remind me that that's my sword. And there's times where Brad asks me, hey, I need you to remind me that that's my sword. We lean on each other like that. But like, if I just pretend, no, I just, I don't struggle with anything, right? If I don't remind myself every time I'm tempted with something to go, hey, that's my sword. Here's the deal. The temptation is revealing to you. That is mine. That's mine. It belongs to me. That's conquering. Conquering is saying that it's just not yours, it's mine. Don't disqualify yourself. Sometimes we just we just think so little of ourselves and we think, oh man, I love that story of, of David. You know, he was just like in that moment where he killed Goliath, like he was in his calling, he was in his purpose. No, he was in his calling and in his purpose when he was killing the bear. He was 100% in his calling when he was killing the lion. When he got to Goliath, that wasn't the pinnacle of his existence. That was just him on the road. And sometimes what we like to do is we like to make up in our minds, well, oh man, I'll get through it when I can be in this scenario. Well, I can manage this when I have this job or I can manage this when I'm here or you know what when this happens I'll be okay and and what we do is we postpone the breakthrough we postpone the victory because we we just say well if all these things can line up but David he wasn't like that like he's alone rejected by his own dad when Samuel comes to anoint everyone he says yeah here here's everybody he didn't bring David and then after this there's no mention of David and his father's relationship so, so it's like he's rejected. He's not really loved by his dad. His dad never said, I'm proud of you, son. Like, you don't have any of that. David becomes king and it, there's no, like, there's nothing about him and his dad. And, and here's the deal. It's like, sometimes we take that, we go, I just, I've been through so much. And dude, David was through it, man. He was alone in the field singing to himself. Like, it was like his parents were like, you're going to do mighty things. You're going to be great. The world needs you to be great. That's Nate's book, right? He didn't have that. He was just in the wilderness going, I just know the Lord. I know the Lord loves me. I know the Lord's called me to do great things. And every single time a lion and a bear came, he said, I was made for this. And here's what happens is when battles come, when temptations come, when bad things happen, sometimes we just, we shrink back and we go, I just don't know about all this. And in reality, it's our opportunity to go, no, I was actually made for this. That's mine. I was made for this. I'm an overcomer. I was playing with my kids in, the, in our orchard yesterday. We were running around playing a game and, um, and Revy was struggling to keep up with us. He's like running. He couldn't keep up with us. He's like, I can't, I can't, you know, like throwing a little toddler fit. And I'm like, no, you can. I had to like stop everything. I was like, do not say you can't, you can. I'm not, not being mean. It's just one of those things where it's like, don't tell yourself you can't, you can. Look what you're doing. You are keeping up. And we tell ourselves stories. We're like, no, I just can't. I can't overcome this. You can You absolutely can. You just haven't tried yet. You're like, well, I've tried things. No, five minutes of counseling, that's not trying. (laughs) Come on, like discipline. Did you actually pray every morning? Did you actually read your Bible? Did you actually remove the things that you need to do? Like I talk to people, they're like, I struggle with lust. I'm like, okay, get rid of your smartphone. Get a flip phone that has no internet. And they don't. Because it's too hard, the idea of losing a touchscreen phone and going to a flip phone. But it's like, hey, if you're struggling with this, get rid of your phone. And I tried everything. No, you didn't. You didn't get rid of your iPad. You didn't get rid of your phone. You didn't turn your internet off. Go back to the stone ages, (laughs) right? 
come on. Like, that's the thing here is we tell ourselves, we make up these stories and we amplify the sword that's in the enemy's hand. And it's just not their sword. It's yours. I wrote this down here. This might help you as well. May the life, may we live a life that makes the enemy regret the day he ever pointed his sword at us. Every single time he points the sword at us, let him just go, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Every single time he says, I know who you are, you go, Shing. take it out of his hand. Yeah, thank you for that. No one likes you. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that God likes me. They don't want to be around you. Oh, thank you, God. God wants to be around me. Dude, that was my world. Like you've heard my story of insecurities and things like that. Every time the enemy comes to me and he says, no one actually likes being around you. I go, oh, thank you, God. You like being around me. It's, it's the shoe up to that's mine. <laughs> Come on. Oh, you're not a good leader. Nobody wants to listen to anything you have to say. Oh, Jesus, thank you. You have put words in my life. That your word is bread in my life. And that anything I have to say that's from you is worth saying. Dude, come on, guys. We, we beat ourselves. Like, I was just talking to Justin. We were talking about how, like, sometimes people will see in your life. And they'll see the good in your life that you just don't see right? Because usually we're our worst critic. We're the ones who beat ourselves down. And in reality, it's just the echoes of lies that the enemy spoke to you directly or indirectly through people. And you just keep believing it. Oh, you're just going to be full of anxiety the rest of your life. You're going to be paralyzed by this. Oh, thank you, Lord. You are peace. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit gives me peace, that this isn't what I was created for, that you are what I was created for. It's reversing, reverse the curse, right? Reverse it. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Every time he points his sword at you, you say, that's mine. Come on. I know I just named like a few things that like many people's, but there's other people, there's people in this room, like you're struggling with different things and I probably didn't mention many of them. But man, I tell you, if you take that and you say, God, this is what I'm telling myself or what the enemy is telling myself. What do you think? That's when you start hearing his voice. I said at the beginning, people, I have so many people come to me. They say, I struggle with my call and I struggle with hearing his voice. You take that sword out of the enemy's hand, you're going to hear his voice. You just will. Because you're not allowing yourself to be subject to it anymore. Jesus. Why don't you stand up with me? We're just, we're, we're landing right now. How will you let the enemy, how will you make the enemy regret the day that he pointed his sword at you? Like right now, what are you dealing with? It could be financial stuff too. Like it, it literally could be anything. How will you make the enemy regret the day that he pointed his sword at you? And that's personal obedience. That's personal discipline. Nobody else can take that sword out of the, of the giant's hand but you. But when you, be, when you get breakthrough, you can tell each other, hey, I trusted the Lord. Here's what I did. And that can give somebody courage to walk into the battle to say, man, that's mine. Okay? So I just want you to close your, eye, close your eyes, put your hand on your heart. I just want you to ask yourself, like, what battles am I fighting right now? What are the things I'm struggling with? And many of you, you walked in, you were very aware of what you were struggling with. <laughs> Sometimes in worship, that's the issue why we can't worship is because all we're thinking about is what we're struggling with. And instead, we're not thinking, man, the Lord has called me out of this and into this. Out of lust and into purity. 
out of addiction and into freedom. And so I just want you to just just picture the thing that you're struggling with. It is a sword in the enemy's hand and he is pointing at, at you. And I want you to ask the Father, Father, what is it that you have called me to? And I promise that thing is in the enemy's hand and he wants you to take that thing out of the enemy's hand and use it against him. Man, if it's a spirit of gossip, like if you struggle, you're like, yeah, I just know I struggle with gossip. I struggle with talking about people behind their back. What, what is it the Lord's calling you to? He's calling you to speak life over people. He's calling you to prophesy, to encourage. That's the opposite. Gossip is the opposite of, of encouragement. It's the opposite of building people up. It's tearing people down. So if you struggle with that, it's the Lord saying, hey, this is your opportunity when people start t- talking poorly about somebody else to say, oh Lord, let me, let me see them from your perspective. Let me see them like you do and then speak life and encouragement and build people up and not tear them down behind them. If it's hope for your dreams, like if it's like, oh, I just feel so hopelessness. I just feel hopeless about my future. It's the Lord. He's calling you into hope. Do not let the enemy point that thing at you anymore. It's not his. It's yours. And so Jesus, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would just set our hearts free. Lord, we know you came to set our hearts free. We know that you have already purchased our victory. We know that you have, uh, you have already set us free from these things, Lord, that by your blood, we have absolutely every single thing we need. But Lord, I ask that you would transform our thoughts, that you would make our minds into the minds of Christ, that we would look at our, our giants that are in our life and we would not just listen to them. We would, just, we would not just sit and let them taunt us, that we would not just sit and identify with the things that our giants in our life are speaking over us, but Lord, that we would go and we would take the sword out of their hand and we would wield the sword in the spirit of truth, that truth would overtake our lives that we would lead our loved ones, our families and our friends into breakthrough because of the breakthrough that that you have led us into. Come on, wake up, everyone. Wake up. You were called to lead your family and your friends into breakthrough. I cannot do that. The person sitting next to you it can't, can't do or, or accomplish the thing that the Lord has called you to. Only you can do that. Only you, you're such a powerful individual. You were born for such a time as this. There is no one like you. And because there is no one like you, no one else can make, can bring about breakthrough like you can. And so Lord, I ask that you lead your people into freedom, into purity, into hope, into peace. Lord, that this whole area of, of uh, Michigan would become a mighty men and women area, that we would, we would start to create mighty men and women that are walking in purity and in power, Lord. Lord, make us a people of purity and power. Purity is the most powerful substance. It's the most powerful substance because it's not tainted by anything other than God. It's just Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen.